Grace 412 podcast. We are in this series that we're calling In the Beginning. We're looking at the story of Genesis, but we're beginning to see uh, the Bible as one continuous, unified, cohesive story. And so we're starting in Genesis, but we're moving through uh, the Gospels, through the New Testament letters, even to where we are today in our day and age, and we're seeing these themes, these stories uh, throughout the whole of eternity. We're seeing these themes about uh, who God is, who we as humankind are, how we deal with sin, what what it looks like to live in light of God's creation and uh, the already but not yet that we're in. And so last week we looked at the idea of who God is. We looked at the Trinity and the nature and the character of God seen through the entirety of Scripture. And tonight we are going to look at mankind and the story uh, of us that is seen through Genesis, but then throughout the rest of Scripture. And so we have a ton of content to go over. Hopefully it'll lead to some encouraging and engaging conversation. Um, And hopefully we can establish some genuine and clear truths about humanity uh, from the story of Genesis and the story of Scripture. And so Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over the cattle, the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And so a few things that you see from this that we don't want to spend too much time on, uh, but we, we want to nail down and be clear because uh, in our culture, these things are in question. Um, but you see it clearly right here in Scripture. God created male and female with one another and for one another. In verse 28, he says, be fruitful and multiply the earth, replenish it. And this does not happen apart from male and female. That was God's design. Again, we don't, we don't want to spend too much time there, but it is uh, a necessity for us to clarify that, that this is God's design as seen through Scripture. If you have questions about that, uh, we can discuss it later. The second thing is this, God created us to cultivate, to create, and to work. It was seen as a blessing from God. God himself uh exemplified this in the way that he created, in the way that he worked through the first six days of creation, in the way that he rested on the seventh day. That's another thing we see about God in creation. Uh, God created, another thing we see is God created both male and female in the image of God. And this is important, and we need to get to the Hebrew language to really unpack this, but it's important because there's a somewhat dangerous narrative that um, has happened in our Western culture that that kind of takes roles and genders um, to an unhealthy extreme, one way or the other. Uh, and maybe it's never been said out loud, but maybe in, in some of our in some of our cultures or contexts, um, maybe women have been treated as of less value or of less significance. Let me just be clear that that is not in Scripture. Like, I personally believe that the Bible gives evidence for gender and roles. It's, it's clear. But I also believe that we have missed the boat in a lot of our churches and communities on what these roles actually look like. And the fact that we are both of equal value and equally image bearers of God. 
And it's important to get to the Hebrew so that you can see this as this entire study is on humanity, on humankind. And so let's have a better understanding of all of humanity here as we look at Genesis 1 and 2. So in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, Adam is almost always referred to by God as Adam. This comes from the Hebrew word ha-adam, which basically just means humankind or humanity. It's all mankind. It's important to note because in biblical Hebrew, there was only about 7,000 words. They now have about maybe 30 to 35,000 words, but it's difficult when we read the Hebrew Bible to sometimes get interpretation because they had so few of words that we don't always have a way to articulate what they were trying to articulate. And so this word ha'adam is the, is the word that's referring to all mankind, and that's what we see in verse 27 when it says God created mankind God created humanity in his image and that's why he says male and female he created them both in his image and then you get to Genesis chapter 2 in verse 21 it says the Lord God caused a sleep to fall upon Adam the humankind the man he slept and he took off one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, out of that he made woman and brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now the bone of my bones, the flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and will cleave to his wife and they will be one flesh. Man and woman were both naked, were unashamed, and they, uh, the man and the woman were unashamed. This is the account that, that Adam refers to himself as ish, which is he refers to himself as man. He refers to Eve as Isha, which is woman. And this is the idea of with or connected to or part of, taken from man. This is has been falsely interpreted. Oh, it's woman because of the womb or woman because it was from man. But there's faulty interpretation there where we kind of make woman second nature, and that's not the case. The, the woman is a, a necessary and integral part of a man. This is the idea that he cannot operate at full capacity without her. And then you look back at the word helper. The, the man needs a helper, and that word is azar, which is to support or aid in times of hardship or distress. This is the word that is used to describe Yahweh when he helps his people in battle. This is the weight that is carried in this partnership between man and woman, the idea that they support and need one another. Why are we spending so much time here? Because it's important before we get into the rest of this to understand that each person by design has uh, integral value as part of God's creation. All humankind is created in the image of God with purpose. All the things that we talked about last week, the image of God that we were created to create, we were created with feelings, we were created to live eternally, we were created to do work, we were created for relationship and community. And you see that in verse 25, they, they were naked and unashamed. They were living together in perfect harmony with one another, with God the creator. And that is the beauty of God's creation in humanity. We were created to live in harmony with our creator and with his creation. We talked about it last week. This is why it was so evident um, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, the biggest problem, they, what happened very first when they sinned, they hid themselves. 
because sin brought chaos to creation. It, it brought disorder. It brought isolation. We were no longer living in harmony with our creator or with the creation. And that chaos has come, has come full circle even to us and the rest of the world. And so I want to just reflect and, and ask, what would it look like for you now as a 2023 um, modern-day Western Christian to live in harmony with God's creation, to get back to that garden ideal? And how would it change the way you live and the way you see people, the way you love people, if you began to truly see them as having been created in God's image? Well, it's important to make this distinction. We talked about it last week, and this is the point where we're going to start to unpack it. The distinction is this. Being created in God's image is not the same as bearing God's image or bearing God's name. See, there's, there's a, a, an important distinction that we'll now make about humanity and about followers of Jesus. See, even the most broken parts of humanity uh, are still created in the image of God. Like we're, we are, we still show signs of God's character. Uh, we're still born with mind, body, and soul. Um, you still see a human need for connection and ra- a relationship. You still have a recognition of a, a higher power, the necessity of work and rest, and the rhythms that those create. Like you can see. Um, we as humankind bearing the image of God, so to speak, still as his creation. But you can also see in humankind how we have distorted that image in creation. So let's talk about that. We, we know the story. God creates uh, a perfect garden, a perfect place. And next week, we're going to talk about that creation. We're going to talk about the seventh day and the idea of ongoing continual rest But then we know what happens. We talked about it on Sunday. Man sins. Man sins and he hides himself. He's no longer naked and unashamed. Instead, he is ashamed. He is no longer a perfect image bearer of the Almighty Creator. Instead, we have a broken image, a broken creation, and a broken and fractured humanity. And all the way in Romans 5, this parallels as Paul gives the gospel to the people at Rome. And he says, as in Romans 5, verse 12, as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Simply put, because of Adam's sin, we are broken people born into a broken world. We're still created after the image of God as humankind, but we're not the image bearer that we were initially designed to be. We're, we're no longer heavenly. We're, we're now earthly. And the question is, why, why are we so earthly now? Why are the wages of sin death? Couldn't God have just restored us or, or recreated us or forgiven us? And so to to get to the next point, we have to kind of take a long way around and recognize why humanity is broken and why God is restoring us in the way he's restoring us. See, the idea of why does man have to die? Why does blood have to be shed? Why does life have to be given? Why are the wages of sin death? Is to recognize we had nothing else to offer a perfect and holy God. Our life was the only thing we possessed, and life is found in the blood. That's why without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Like, our life was the only thing we could give back to God. And and being perfectly just and perfectly righteous, he had to deal with sin, with with dishonor and with brokenness. And, And the only way we could make things right is to pay him back with our life. So let's be clear, Satan is the, a very real enemy. 
but he's not the focus of the Genesis story. In fact, if you read the Genesis account, he's not actually even mentioned. We, we use uh, different passages from Isaiah and throughout Scripture to, to kind of explain what happened between Satan and the serpent. But, but the story of Genesis and the story of the gospel, it, it's told throughout all of Scripture. And this is about Creator God restoring and recreating a broken humanity back into the image of himself. That's what Romans 8 talks about as well. 1 Corinthians 15 explains this so clearly. The beginning of the chapter, Paul just says, hey, this is the gospel. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. And we're going to get to that. But he goes on to explain why in verse 21, he explains, since by man came death, by man also came resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. This is the gospel. You go back and read Romans 5 or Ephesians 2. It's that sin corrupted God's image and that we could not make things right on our own. That even our lives were flawed and fractured and broken and they were not a fair sacrifice. They were not a fair trade. We who were in perfect harmony with God became enemies of God and we needed a reset. We needed a new name. And this is the significance of the blood again. Because how do you get your name? When you're born, most of us, when you're born, you're, you're in a family and you are in that bloodline. And so in Genesis chapter 2, God sacrifices uh, what we believe to be a lamb and makes coat skins for them, uh, for Adam and Eve, a sign of the promise to come, a new bloodline that will be created, a new name that will be given. And then you fast forward all the way to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God explains to Abraham what's going to happen, what we just read about in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15. Genesis chapter 12, it says verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I'll bless you and I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. And he says, and I will bless them that bless thee, I'll curse them that curse thee. And in thee, all families of the earth shall be blessed. He says, Abraham, I'm gonna make your name great. I'm gonna give you a new name. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. How? Through the person of Jesus that is gonna come through Abraham's bloodline. So Genesis 1, Adam and Eve are created, they're created heavenly, there's a perfect garden, there's a perfect union with God, sin corrupts it, God says you are now earthly, you now will have to deal with the brokenness of the world, the brokenness of your sin, you're going to have to die eventually now, a physical death, but what does God do? He's going to bring heaven down. Look at this, verse 50, uh, 41 of 1 Corinthians 15. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars from one different, uh, from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection from the dead. It's sown in corruption, but it's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, and it is raised in a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first what is spiritual, but that what is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. This is the first man, Adam, brought us physical death. He brought us a, a physical life and death. The second Adam, the last Adam, brings us spiritual life, eternal life. 
and it is his bloodline, it is his family that we are welcomed into. So the question, who is the last Adam? Who is the first Ha-Adam, the first human? The first Adam is obviously Adam, but who is the last? It's Jesus. Look at it, verse 47. The first man is of the earth earthly, that's Adam. The second is the Lord from heaven. That is Jesus. Colossians 1.15, we talked about it last week. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the new human, the last Adam, the first we talked about last week, Revelation, the first and the last. He is giving us, those who have believed the gospel, we've tied our lives to Jesus. He is giving us his bloodline, his name, his image. And so this is the truth. Only believers will bear the name of God. See, it's the idea all, all, all humanity is created in the image of God, but only believers will bear the name of God. See, we who have believed the gospel, we who have put our faith in Jesus, we're not just generally cre- created in the image of God. We who have believed the gospel have been, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, have been baptized by his spirit into his body. We are now the image of God for the world to see. We are to be a reflection of God. We are to bear his fruit and to bear his name. We were redeemed for this purpose. That's why if you follow Abraham's line all the way through to Moses, Moses uh, gives the Ten Commandments and says, hey, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We were, even back then, we were followers of God for a reason. We were the image of God for the world to see. And now we who have a spirit that much more so, we were redeemed to, to be loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and meek, to be the image of God. The story of God in humanity from garden to glory is not about God getting us to heaven. It is about God getting heaven to us. He's he's creating a new heaven and a new earth, a new garden, a city garden where we will dwell again in perfect harmony, in perfect union with our creator and with his creation. That's why Romans 8 says, whom God did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So to recap, God tells Abraham, hey, through you, all people will be blessed. You're going to carry my name. Then he tells Moses, hey, one of the commandments, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Then he tells Paul to tell the Romans, Jews and Greeks, hey, you all are a part of God's family and you all bear his name. So what does it mean for us to be image bearers and to bear the name of our Lord Jesus? What does it mean to take the name of the Lord our God in vain? The word vain that's used is just this idea of what we get vanity from today. It's emptiness. It's dealing with and speaking of God in, in, a, in a way that just empties him of his significance and of his value. So many of us, we, we don't say... Uh, oh my God, or Jesus Christ as a curse word. And so many of us believe we don't take the name of the Lord our God in vain. But so many of us have been redeemed. We've been restored. We, 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 have, we have been called to bear the name of God. We are our so-called the image and name bearers of the Almighty, of the Creator. We are supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus on earth now to be kingdom builders and kingdom representatives. And we have an absolute emptiness and nonchalance about the task that we have been given. 
Let that not be the case for us. But instead, will we recognize the eternal work that God is doing in his creation and in us? And will we be a people who lives in light of that? So I want to challenge you this week. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is a huge chapter if you want to tackle it. Read that in light of Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Um, I would also encourage you, read Romans chapter 8 all the way through, front to back, in light of the story of Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, in light of the story of the gospel. And I would encourage you, talk about it with one another. And then next week, we're going to talk specifically about sin, where it started, what it does, and how God's word and his spirit can help us to live in victory. Find somebody else, either your friend, your family, your Grace 412 partner, whoever it is, to discuss and pray these things with. And then we're going to come back next week to continue our series in the beginning. I can't wait, and we'll talk to you guys then. Mm-hmm.